So my name is Andy. I'm one of the leaders here. If you're visiting, we're really thrilled you're with us. Um, and the reason for the, <coughs> the whole uh, animation there is we have been working through the Bible over the last few weeks. We decided it would be a good series to try and do the entire Bible, this entire book, um, in 20 weeks to give an overview, to try and get the big story. Um, and that's what we've been doing. Um, and this morning, my role, because we finished this, Last week, Anna gave us the kind of big overview. Um, my role this morning is to talk about what next, really, um, and playing our part. But before we do that, um, and it does link in in terms of uh, the whole thing that we've seen in the Bible of how God has come to rescue the world and what he's doing right the way through the world, and in terms of our part in it, I'm just going to give you a few minutes uh, update. As you know, we are part of an international network of churches right around the world, um, joined with churches in many, many countries. Part of my responsibility is looking after numbers of churches um, and followers of Jesus uh, in Middle Eastern countries. And whilst the majority of those may be uh, kind of Muslim peoples, uh, in some of those places there are historically histri- Christian communities which obviously, with all that's happening at the moment, need a lot of encouragement and support. And also, there are many people in those countries who are asking questions um, and saying, well, you know, what what does it uh, mean, Jesus, what he came to do? Some of them looking at faith they were brought up in, um, and then looking also at Jesus and Christianity. And we've got numbers of churches in those places. And last weekend, I was in Turkey. And we thought it would be good just for a couple of minutes to tell you some of the things that uh, we were doing. So for a couple of days, we gathered all our churches together, or certainly the leaders of those churches, for two days of prayer. Uh, Now, 15 years ago is when I first got involved, and that's when we were sending our first couples, first team, if you like, to go and start working in, in that country. So 15 years ago, very little on the ground There'd have been a few hundred people who'd have said they were believers in Jesus. Um, And now across the country, there are more and more churches, uh, new communities of people uh, beginning to worship Jesus. And so in that room, representing uh, numbers of our churches now, which have kind of started over the last uh, 15 to 20 years, uh, we had about 50 or 60 people that were gathering to worship and pray and, and pray for their nation and pray for all that is happening. It was a remarkable two days. We really knew God with us. Um, great time praying for situations, some of which are experiencing growth, others of which are really, really hard and difficult. Couples who are working in a situation right in the east of the country um, with hundreds and hundreds of refugees arriving because of what is happening uh, kind of southeast of them. Um, right the way through, as I said, to situations in cities which are still challenging, and yet regularly people are arriving and saying, I'm interested in knowing more about Jesus. Um, Can you talk to me about him? Um, Now, we're joined with that. That's part of what we do. Uh, On the Sunday, I spoke, um, I was in a place called Yalova, which is near Istanbul, just across the Sea of Marmara, and I spoke to the Turkish church there, had a great morning with them, great hunger and appetite. Um, In the afternoon, we then gathered the Iranian refugees. This church has been inundated with refugees arriving from the Middle East. Iranians, uh, Iraqis, now Syrians. Uh, I met a young Yemeni woman, because those of you who have been keeping up the news know that Yemen has been in turmoil for years now, um, and the government has been overthrown again. 
Um, and <coughs> they do a meeting for Turks, as I said, then a meeting in Farsi for the Iranians, then a meeting in Arabic for all the other refugees. Um, talk about an opportunity to express the compassion of Christ as whole families have had to flee their situations, have got nothing, they've run in fear of their lives, and they're arriving in all kinds of parts around the world, but particularly in Turkey, and all of our churches are involved in caring for them. In this meeting, you'll see in a minute, I shot a video on my mobile phone. It's not great. Um, it was partly for my benefit, just to remind me. We're meeting in a house, in effect, and the room is 150 people crammed into the room, up the stairs, out in the hallway. They start worship with a keyboard. The place just erupts. Iranians are very expressive anyway. Unlike some of us in the room who are English, unlike our worship, a little tame... I don't want to move too much, hence Zeke doing the classic introduction. This has got actions, but no pressure. Um, don't say that to an Iranian group, they'll lynch you. Um, you just throw everything into it, because that's what they do. And 150 people, with nothing, praising and worshipping Jesus, does something to your heart. Um, I've been there before, I'm not surprised by that. Um, and just to kind of pass that on, really, in terms of part of what we're joined with, in part of us praying, we head into our week of prayer this week, which you'll hear more about later. We've got a lot to pray for. We've got a lot, as we've talked about this big story, God is working in all kinds of places around the world. Um, in terms of these refugees, they'll be there for two or three years before the UN move them on, and we've got huge opportunities there to love care, help with trauma, help with practical needs. Uh, after I'd speaking, in fact, while I was speaking because of the theme that I felt God speak to me about in terms of them remembering what God had promised, uh, people weeping, crying, some with joy because they were knowing God in, in those moments, others because they've been through trauma, um, some people needing prayer and help because of all that they've endured, um, <clears throat> but knowing and seeing how much God is working. And then in the Arabic meeting, I didn't get to go to that. We had another meeting on. But again, the same thing in terms of their hunger and thirst for God. So let's pray. And let's keep praying. Um, let's just play this, if this is ready. As I said, not stunning quality, but it will give you an idea. Go on. an amazing drum he's playing. That's called a, a daff. So if anyone wants to learn how to play one of those, I've got no idea how you do. He's doing two separate things with his hands. He's moving the thing up and down as well. And there's a whole load of little rings on the inside which are shaking. But there you go. I hope that stirs you. Um, please pray. We think we're not just doing this for news and to let you know what I do and, and others with me do. But it's important to pray. Um, also, if anyone at all feel stirred in terms of practical needs for the refugees or in terms of helping with trauma counselling or helping care for kids in terms of helping them what they've been through. Um, I'm asking God to 
join some people up so that we can do something to support the churches and minister right into those situations. We have huge opportunities to express the compassion of Jesus. Not take a Western kind of thing, but to simply express the compassion of Jesus to people who have found him or are asking huge questions about what they were brought up in. Guys, please, if you know of anybody or you feel stirred yourself, talk to me. Um, when I talked to the team about that, they said it'd be great to give two minutes on Sunday. I thought there's no chance of two minutes. So I've got to fly if we're going to now talk about what next in terms of this story. What we've called this morning is finding your place in the story, finding your place in what God is doing around the world, finding your place in how this story goes forward. <clears throat> the story itself demands that we conclude in this way. This isn't just a nice way to kind of finish it. We weren't thinking, we've got a bit of a gap before we start another series. As you work through the story, you realize, as we have seen, as you get into the New Testament, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the church being formed, then the letters from Paul, what I was teaching on last time, you realize that the whole point of the story is God saying, I'm rescuing the world, I'm rescuing you, and now I'm including you in it. So we can't simply finish the story with Revelation and say, well, that's that. We've covered that book. The story itself demands we answer the question, well, what do we do? What's our part? It's like watching a film at the cinema, and just when you think it's finished and you expect to see the credits, the camera doesn't come up with to be continued. Actually, the camera turns onto the audience and suddenly you find yourself looking at the screen and you're on it suddenly find that in, Cine, in Cineworld Screen 1, there's a camera and suddenly it cuts to you and there are no credits. And that camera carries on watching you. That's what this story demands. We have a part to play. That's what Jesus has come for. And to help us answer this question, how do we play our part, finding our place in the story, I'd like us to go back to near the beginning, to Genesis 12, and read about Abraham. So if we can put that slide up. This is what God says to someone called Abraham, who later became known as Abraham. Near the beginning of the story, near the point where God is is saying, we need to rescue this. Everything has gone wrong. There is wickedness, selfishness, and evil. The world I made, which was so good, is now totally spoilt. And he comes to Abraham and says this, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. So why go back to near the beginning? We've just covered the whole thing, and why go back to Abraham? Why take us there? Well, partly, so much of the story for us starts here. God is promising to Abraham that all the peoples on the earth will be blessed. That's become a religious word. What it means is will be made good, will receive wholeness. Um, A Hebrew word sometimes used in that context is shalom, the well-being of God. It means God is going to fix all things, and he's going to do it through the family of Abraham. This is where the story begins. The people, the world, will be rescued from the curse as what has been made wrong, what has gone wrong, and instead of curse, there will be blessing. But there's more to Abraham than that in terms of us looking at him this morning. Abraham is held up again and again through this story 
as an example to us for what it means to take part. In Isaiah, if you remember, we had a, a time a few weeks into the story where we were talking about how everything had gone wrong and God's people had rebelled, turned their back on God again and again, year after year after year, and God has sent prophets and warned them, and there were some good kings and bad kings. In the middle of that all going wrong, Isaiah says to God's people, remember Abraham. Remember the rock from which you came from. Look not only at what God's promised, but look at how he lived. In the middle of everything going wrong, God's people were in exile. They weren't in their land. They thought, have we lost everything? And Isaiah says, or God says to them through Isaiah, look at Abraham. Remember him. Then in the New Testament, after the coming of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has been poured out. New communities, which we now call church, are being formed. Paul writes to these new communities and says, look, here, here's what faith looks like. Here's what it means to put your belief in what God is doing. Look at Abraham. So in the Old Testament, Abraham is held up as what it means to take part in the story. In the New Testament, Abraham is held up, even for believers in Jesus. So look back to him. Remember how he lived. We'll look at this in a moment. Remember how he lived. Remember what he did. That's how you are to live now. So that's why we're going to Abraham. Let's take a closer look. So God makes a huge promise. He's saying he's going to do something remarkable through him. The whole world will be put right. Instead of curse, there will be blessing. Instead of injustice, there will be justice. All the things we've seen in recent weeks. But what we can often do with this passage is kind of look at the promise and miss what God says to Abraham because God says to Abraham something huge. He says to him, I want you to leave. Go from your country. So for Abraham, in fact the word could be taken land, Abraham would have had herds, he would have been a farmer, he uh, would have been dependent on the land. He wouldn't have gone to work somewhere every day, nine to five. The land was his economic security. That's where he got his wealth from. And God says, I want you to leave that land. I know it's yours. I know you're farming it. I know your livelihood depends on it. Leave it. And I want you to leave your people, all your history, your relationships, everything which makes up who you are your identity, your stories, everything from the past. Harder for us to understand, some of us in the West, but in the East, your people, that means your history, your stories, everything that you would talk about, who you are. God says, come on, come out from that. I'm going to do something else. I want you to leave that. And biggest of all, leave your father's household. That would have been massive. Say to your dad, say to his brothers, uncles, aunts, say to all your cousins, hey, we're leaving. It would have been a huge conversation. There's not time now for me to kind of play that one out, but just think that through. Imagine Abraham sitting down with Dad, saying, Dad, I've got some news for you. Um, God, the the one who made everything, because they would have believed in many gods, but the way God in the story always makes himself known is that I'm the creator, I'm the one who did all this. He's asked me to leave. Okay, son, that's um, that's shocking news. Where are you going? I haven't got a clue, Dad. God's going to show me. And um, just exactly how you're going to get money? I haven't got a clue, Dad. God's going to show me. He's going to care for me. See, Abraham, to take part in the story, God asked him to leave and to look to him. 
Everything that Abraham had his identity and insecurity in, he was now to put in God. God would give him a new land. God would make him into a new people, and God himself would be his father. Yes, God is saying to him, I want you to leave this, leave this, leave this. But instead of these things, it's not that these things are terrible or wrong. It's not that you don't need them. But instead of looking to your people, instead of looking to the land, instead of looking to your father's household and your family, I want you to look to me. I want you to understand that your security, your peace, your well-being, your future is in me. It's not in all of these things. And that's what it means to take part in the story. To turn away from everything that is broken, evil, and turn to God. That's why God was saying to Abraham, come out from that. Come out from all of these things that are broken and look to me. I can't fix this if you kind of say, I'll stay here, God, just make it a bit better for me. Often that's what we can think the story's about. Often that's how we'd like it to be. God, can I, can I keep all of this and you just come and make it a little bit better for me? But that's not what the story says. God says to Abraham, you want this fixed, you want the world better, you want the curses broken, you want justice, you want well-being, instead of all this brokenness, leave it. Yet God, can't you just come in? Do I have to leave all of this? No, come out from all of that and look to me for it. This is what Jesus said. You pick this up in the New Testament. Jesus said to the disciples uh, as he was calling them, leave all of that and follow me. Leave it all behind. I'm going to do something great. That's what he said to them. Instead of catching fish, I'll make you into influencers of hundreds. But you've got to leave that. So often we wish that the message was something where you add Jesus and this story and all the good things God's got into your life. Jesus kind of gets to be an add-on. Jesus gets to be something that can make this better. Yes, God wants to bless. That's what he said to Abraham. But if God can bless me in all of this and make this better, that's not how it works. Oh yeah, God says there is something far, far better, far, far more fulfilling, far greater than anything, anything that you can get here. Better than any satisfaction you think you can have. It may last for a few moments here, but then there's always the next morning or the next week or the next month when these things have passed. Only me, says God can fix this. And you don't just bring me in, have a bit of me, and then carry on doing what you like. I want you out. I want you to leave. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what it means to say, I'm going to line my life up with what God is doing. It doesn't mean, for, obviously, for many of us, a literal leaving, in like it meant for Abraham, but it does mean in terms of what's going on in here, the things we live for, the things we're passionate about, the things that matter to us, look totally different because we're looking to him and not for anything or everything that the world can offer. See, in this big story, God wants a people who are distinct, a people who live different, a people who are his. That's what, in the first part of the story, when we looked at it, all the laws are for and all the commands are for, and all the bits that you think, page after page after page. Some of it is practical, about how you actually get to live in a desert when there's not many, much food around. So lots of it's practical, but most of it is simply, I want you to be different. I want you to live, if you're going to be my people, live different from the rest of the world. I'm not going to send scores of angels. I'm not going to do something dramatic in the sky to show the world. I'm going to have a people that live different because they've got my power and my spirit in them. That's the story. That's what we've come to see. And I want you to live different.
Abraham is held up as the hero again and again through the scripture as the example. What did he do? From the reasons I love this story. Basically, he walked. He walked a long way. There are a couple of battles, but he's not known as a great warrior. He's not known as a king. He's not known as a great teacher or a great prophet. Abraham went for a walk. That's what it means to take part in the story. You walk, trusting God every day. You might not know where you're going. You might not know what may happen next week, next month. You might not know, have everything worked out in terms of what God has got for you, but you're trusting him, so you walk. At work, at home, uni, school, trusting him, you walk. Yeah, there's some great heroes in here. Yeah, there's some great stories we could have turned to right at the end this morning and give a great kind of visionary, come on, let's go and slay some giants, or let's go and take some territory, or let's go and do some great miracles. Now, all of that gets to happen. Is this coming in and out, or is it? All, I'll just keep going. All of that gets to happen, but actually the way that happens is through you and I saying, all right, God, I'm going to live different. I'm going to trust you this day. I'm going to trust you this morning. I'm looking to you financial security. I'm looking to you for my identity. The world will tell me I need this possession or I need to dress like this, look like this or go to this place for my life to really count. But it doesn't work. God, I'm going to look to you. My security, what I'm living for is in you and I will walk and I will trust you. Wherever God has put us, That's how we play our part. Daily believing in him, trusting him, obeying him. Our security and identity being in him. That means it looks different from the culture. The church is meant to be counter-cultural, looking different. Not just the same with a bit of Jesus. Not just the same with some nice religious meetings and we get to sing our songs once a week and the rest of life looks the same, but (coughs) actually looking different not got time to open all of this up this morning, but just a couple of things. One of the things which our culture pumps with and matters, our whole economy is determined by, is consumerism. Products, experiences, things which will make your life better, things which will enable you to be part of this group or that group or on the in-tribe, the latest music, clothes, whatever else, and your life will be better. The church is meant to demonstrate something different. We're meant to look different from the rest of the communities around us, not because we're following a bunch of laws, not because we've got a bunch of commands, not because we have regular meetings that we go to instead of going out and playing golf or going to the football or something, but because Jesus has become everything for us. Because we're saying we don't need all that stuff. It's not wrong to have stuff. It's not wrong to have cars and products and music players and and nice clothes. What God's after, though, is what are we living for? And then if that's what we're living for, how does that look different? The world isn't going to know there's a saviour who's broken into the story and made everything different by us singing a few songs. The world is going to know there's a king and a saviour because you and I live different. We're motivated by different things. We're passionate about different things. We care about what's happening halfway around the world with a bunch of refugees. We care about what's happening with our neighbour down our street who's having a hard time. Because we're not living of what we consume. We're living because of what we can give. Because we met a king who gave us everything. And that does something to your heart. If you just bring him in, it's an add-on. He just makes your life better. 
But if it totally transforms you, you realize, hey, this life is summing us now. All of this is just passing. There's another story, and that's meant to consume us to the point that the church looks different. Sadly, though, we can also bring consumerism into the church. So numbers of conversations can take place week by week in all kinds of churches as to whether or not the worship did it for us, whether or not our needs were met, whether or not we thought it was a good meeting. Hey, this isn't for us, it's for him. That's who it's for. That doesn't mean we can't be looking at whether or not we're really equipping one another and really caring. Of course those conversations have got to happen, but we start not with what I thought and what did it for me, but whether God was glorified and God was honoured. When worship becomes a product and you can go to worship events for the sake of the event and buy CD uh, and uh, worship as a product, then something has gone wrong. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with buying worship CDs, don't misunderstand me. When you can pitch up at conferences and the biggest cue for, the, the, for an event is to have a personal prophetic word, then we've missed something. Now, I know I get the privilege of getting to travel to some places and seeing some of what you saw on there, but that's got to do something to us. Again and again on trips, and I make no apology for my emotion, again and again on visits, I get to realize how rich we are. I get to realize how wealthy we are. I'm not just talking possessions here but I'm talking about rich in terms of what we know of this. Rich in terms of how we can worship freely. Rich in terms of how any of us will go from here this morning, will carry on with our lives. Hopefully we'd have enjoyed fellowship, met with God this morning, but there won't be a bomb outside in the car. That's happened to my friends a couple of years ago. There won't be someone who's hating us. Guys, we're rich. This isn't consumerism. This isn't another product for us. This is for him. And it's for those who don't know him. Another one would be our world's obsession with individualism and self-centered individualism. That it's about us, it's about my rights, it's about my needs, it's about my life working out well. We're supposed to live different. Taking part in this story means we no longer focus on our rights. We've left that behind. Rather, it's the rights of others. It's forgiving those who hurt us, not looking for revenge. Not making sure that they get to know what they've done so they won't do it again. Jesus said, forgive. Forgive your enemies. Love those. Feed those who have nothing. The needs of others becomes what we're focusing on, not our needs. The church is supposed to be a counter-cultural community. That's what it means to take part in the story. I need to move on. Another way of putting this is we need to live like we don't belong here. We know the story. We know there's another plot going on to what the world tells us. We know where it's going to end. We know all this is temporary and passing. So don't invest in everything the world invests in. Invest in him. Jesus said it's about building treasures in heaven, not storing what you can have now. This is what it says in Hebrews 11 about Abraham. Can that one go up? By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, that's his descendants, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Temporary, tents just passing through. I'm not suggesting we all stick our house on the market and go camping. We missed the point. You'll be pleased to know. 
But there should be a temporary nature as to how we hold things, as to what we count as precious. Friends, it will go. And then we'll be with him forever. And this is what Abraham saw somehow. I love this sentence. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. We've seen that theme through the story. I've not got time to open that up, but if you're just catching up with our series for the first time this morning, what it means is is God is doing something of eternity. He will wrap this all up and make it all good, and we will live with him forever. And the writer is saying, somehow Abraham saw that. Somehow when he talked with his dad and said, Dad, I'm leaving. Somehow when he talked with his wife, Sarah, that would have been a really tricky conversation. Sorry, darling, it's tense from here on in in the desert and the view out the window in the morning um, yes yes palm trees on a good day think how those conversations happen how did he live that for 25 years before the promise came true 25 years before they had a son day by day walking believing obeying knowing there's a city coming there is something else coming of eternal worth that's what we live for that doesn't mean we withdraw, doesn't mean we keep our heads down, hang on, sing a few songs, enjoy our community and wait for it all to happen. No, Jesus has sent us into the world to tell this story. The world needs to know and God wants us part of it. This is what he wanted the disciples to understand right after the resurrection. We looked at this a little bit in the story, Luke 24. Basically, Jesus sits down with them, opens up the story, the kind of first part of the prophets and all of that, and says, look, all of this points to me. It's up on the screen behind this. I'm not going to read it. All of this points to me. And all of this has happened. My coming, my healing, my raising the dead, my feeding uh, scores and scores of people. All of this has happened My death and resurrection in order that this good news, what I have done, the power of evil that I have broken, the fact that death has been defeated, this has all happened so you can go and tell the world and tell all peoples and tell nations. In other words, the promise given to Abraham is fulfilled in what Jesus did and he wants us to tell the world about it. He wants us to be sent. God wants us to play our part in the story. He sends us. Some of our goals that we've been talking about as a church for this year, about hospitality, about praying for friends that don't know Jesus, about believing God for breakthroughs. It's trying to connect this story up with everyday life. That's why we've done it. It's not because we sat in the office and thought, let's find a few challenges for us and see what we can do if anyone's bored. No, we're trying to say, we've got a story, we've got something to tell here. So let's pray. Let's believe for some breakthroughs. Let's pray for some nations. That's what those goals are for. <clears throat> but as I head for a finish and begin to apply this, the story is also a love story. We do all of this. Live different, make sacrifices, live differently with our possessions and our money, love our enemies, care for the poor, pray about other nations, knowing that we're in a relationship with a God who loves us passionately. This isn't just about action, This isn't a call this morning just to do more. In a context where Jesus was talking to his disciples about sending them, he says this, As the Father has loved me, this is John 15, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands, remain in his love. I've told you this, that my joy may be in you, 
and that your joy may be complete. Everything that's to motivate us for this, even our obedience, even our sacrifice, even choices that we make, so I'll live like this instead of living like that, are to come from the fact that Jesus gave his life for us because he loves us. In the end, as we've said a few times, this is a love story of a God who loves his people, as a God who isn't walking away. You think the mess, the injustice, the pain, even some of the things you've experienced in your life that hurt you, you think if that hurts you, what do you think it does to God who made it and said, this is good, and I want to walk in the garden at the beginning of the story with my people. And they said, thank you very much. We don't want you here. We'll do this our way. And every year that passes, every child that's raped, every child that's kidnapped to take part in war, all those refugees that I meant, all the things that you know and have experienced. Time to finish. Do you like that? (laughs) I haven't worked out how to turn that off. I don't think it matters. You get the point. Everything that's broken, everything you have experienced, the healing, his desire to put it right, comes from love. (laughs) So I'm back to last Sunday, standing in that room, embracing a man who lost his wife two years ago to breast cancer and has got two kids and he's now a refugee and he's got nothing. And he, well, I don't know what I can give him. I gave him some love. I flung my arms around him. He sobbed. I shed a tear and I prayed for him. Listen, we're taking part in the biggest love story that there is. We can cast vision. I can stir you with stories and to action. Now let the love of God transform your heart. To take part in this story means to know you are a child of God who loves you passionately. That's how we take part. We live different. We don't add Jesus in. We leave all the things that we'd normally put our security and peace in and we trust him and we faithfully obey him day by day by day, whatever situation you're in. Mum, dad, raise your children in a way that honours Jesus. That's how you take part in the story. Yeah, even at three o'clock in the morning when they're kicking off and there's nothing good to watch on telly until they sleep sit there come on go to sleep go to sleep given up praying in tongues doesn't seem to work just sleep please sleep or whatever else for some of you who are reaching a bit later in life getting a bit older your time is not finished it's not time to hand over we need you to talk about your stories and your experiences of trusting Jesus for years some of these young people in this room need to know what it takes to trust Jesus for years I've got friends who sadly walked away Some of you have followed him for years. It's not time to finish. It's not you've had the best. You've got loads to give. For some of you who are younger, make choices now that means you can live a life, a radical life in the pursuit of Jesus that will affect friends, that will affect communities. Make those choices now. One of my biggest regrets looking back because I'm not a young man anymore. Oh, surely not I hear you cry. That didn't go as planned. Um, um, is I'd wish I'd got more serious. I'd wish I'd seen what I see now back then. I'd wish I'd stopped trying to do one foot. I just got Jesus coming to here, please. I just want to keep this. So much stuff, so much parties, so much friends, so much. I want this. Jesus, come in. And I was torn for years. And then finally I saw it. It only works if both feet. It only works when I say, okay, Jesus, I'll trust you with everything. So those of you who have got loads of years going forward, God willing, give everything now. Some of you aren't going to live this out here in Birmingham. You're going to live it out in other nations. You'll go where there are refugees. You'll go to places where are really, really broken. And you'll demonstrate the love of Jesus. 
Don't wait for that just to fall into place. Pursue that now. Because Jesus says, go. We're sent. That's what it means to take part in the story. Finally, just to finish, I felt God speak to me as I was prepping. As some of you would feel stirred by this, you'd enjoy it, but you've kind of lost your way a bit, got a bit disillusioned, had promises over the years, and think, well, it's not all worked out and gone the way you wanted it. It's not too late. It's not too late. Try and take your eyes off what you thought would happen and get them back on Jesus. Take your eyes off the things you hoped might happen and didn't, or the people that let you down, or even yourself, if you think, well, I had so many dreams and hopes when I was younger, and now I've blown it. You have not blown it. You haven't. Abraham was pretty old when God called him. Moses blew it, and then God brought him back. This story is full of people who you'd think had blown it. And the whole point of the story is, is God's grace came to them, and they hadn't blown it. No one's blown it here this morning. Once you turn to him and say, okay, God, I'll give this another go.